1: Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network speaking after Manchester United's 1-0 win over Brentford at Old Trafford on Wednesday night. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett to talk just about that game, really, and look ahead to the Everton game on Saturday, or Sunday, yeah, Saturday, 12.30. Uh, Rob, our last show was all doom and gloom. It was, these players don't try Where's the effort? Where's the basics of passing? Can you pass a ball five yards? No. Well, last night they could. Uh, A better feeling around the club at the moment after that.
2: Yes, didn't we need it? You know, after some dire performances or some performances going south. This was a better one, wasn't it? I said on Twitter before the game, all I really wanted to see from United was some angry football, some hunger show that they actually want it, and then the rest kind of follows. Do you know what I mean? If you win those battles, then the ball suddenly starts popping around a little bit more. You start being able to pass it a little bit more. You're not doing all the regressive stuff. So uh, I think what what you would describe as a decent performance, it wasn't otherworldly, but it was good. Um, And thankfully, Brentford were not particularly good. But I do think it was actually Manchester United that controlled the flow of the game. And that's what really hurt Brentford, being able to do their their thing. So really, really good. Some positive performances to talk about. And most importantly, three points.
1: Yeah, I think we should stress Brentford were not very good. (laughs) Uh, But all you can ask for really in those circumstances is just the three points and a, a decent performance. Nothing extravagant from United, but, you know, the basics were there. The effort was there fundamentals were there. we'll we'll dig into this in a little bit i'll just uh, get the show plugs out the way youtube we're on youtube twice a week usually tuesdays and fridays but it is a thursday as we record this because uh easter is coming up uh might the, the agenda might change a little bit of our days that we record but we will let you know in future shows uh just over the next couple of weeks with some other things going on uh head over to the channel on youtube like subscribe and leave a comment for us and download on audio, wherever you get your podcasts, we are available pretty much everywhere, whichever podcast provider you use. Follow us on Twitter too, as Rob mentioned, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob B, underscore B. I can't talk this morning, it's too early, Rob. Uh, mm-hmm. And at Promise Land MU for the show. We'll talk today about the Brentford game. A few players that we need to mention. We'll answer some comments that have come in over the last few days as well. We'll look ahead to Everton. And also, a little bit of a surprise for you at the end of the show. I've been given, if you're watching on YouTube, cards like this. And for the audio listeners, they are prompts. These are cards for the Premier League Hall of Fame. Uh, There is a vote which is going on at the moment. We'll talk at the end of the show, and I'm going to get Rob's picks. We're only going to go through the United players. There's about 10, 15 players on the (laughs) nominees list, but there's five United players. And given this is a Man United podcast, we'll do the Man United slant. Uh, but that will be at the end of the show. Now, Rob, uh, Brentford losing 1-0 to United. What what was different then? What what was different from what we saw at the weekend? And even in recent performances, you think back to the Fulham game in the FA Cup. I know United got over the line in that game, but the performance wasn't there for a long time. Uh, bailed out with some late goals. This one was different, though. This was uh, Eric Ten Hag seemingly getting into their heads and saying no that's not acceptable you need
2: to perform better and that's exactly what happened well yes and you know you don't win a football match in the first 10 or 15 minutes of a game do you but there was a notable difference between what United have done in maybe recent matches in those first 10 or 15 minutes and what they did at Old Trafford last night you know they set their stall out didn't they they went they went up to to uh, Brentford, and I think it's what we said in the the last podcast, kind of when you put your chin out and say, go on then, punch it, but we'll punch back and we'll fight you back. And there there was that kind of combativeness, wasn't there, about United's play. So it goes to show, Scott, that they can do all these things when Casemiro isn't there. You know, they can actually fight teams and get in the trenches and do all the kind of dogs of war stuff. A lot of the time, I think there's a lot of excuses for these very highly paid footballers. But it was a much bigger, uh, I think, kind of performance across the board, wasn't it, from back to front. Defence, midfield was massively improved from the Newcastle game. It popped. It worked really well. And then, of course, up top, you made that big change, really, with Veghorst not playing a minute, which was interesting. And Rashford going through the middle. And, of course, Jaden Sancho coming back into the team. So, kind of, I think Ten Hag rolled the dice, but they're not massive risks, are they? These are not things that we go, oh, that's a... that's an strange decision from this manager. They're all stuff all within his remit of being a manager and trying to get this team popping again. Uh, and it was a good performance. As I said, very professional. And they took the points. They won one nil. It could have been 2-0. It probably should have been 2-0 or 3-0. But at the end of the day, scorelines do not matter. Victory zoo Yeah, you mentioned the midfield there, Rob. And the last conversation
1: mm. we had after Newcastle kind of overran United's midfield on Sunday. Yeah. Was oh god this midfield terrifies me without Casemiro and Eriksen there. But I was looking at the the lineup graphics as I was preparing to watch the match, you know, United versus Brentford's. Uh, I think Brentford played three Danish players in there. Uh and I thought that United 3, Sabitzer, McTominay, Bruno versus that 3. Come on. Yeah. They're all better footballers. You just need to put the right amount of application in and y- your job should be relatively simple uh and that is in the end how it came out but I mean we'll talk about all the midfielders on their own in today in today's show and we'll start now I suppose Tom the Brick (laughs) uh or at Tom the Brick on Twitter commented uh to one of my tweets yesterday and asked me how does Scott McTominay play please 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 discuss this on the podcast Maybe my untrained eye is wrong. I just can't see how he can possibly get in this team. So Rob, I'm going to ask you, what does he <laughs> offer to this team? And why does Ten Hag pick him? Because what I did see from McTominay last night was intelligent pressing, mm. uh, you know, good energy. He offers, somebody commented back on that. He offers height in the box to defend from corners. He's more than that though. Uh, I, obviously we know his limitations, this kind of thing, and but he does seem to get, to, to, to some fans who are watching and they don't see the obvious technical quality that he has, obviously then he kind of sticks out as a, a sore thumb in a sense as being really off really off standard. But what is mm. it that managers like Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, Eric Ten Hag see in him to continue playing him?
2: Well, when they said things we said previously about why managers keep players or play players is a lot of the time it's down to trust and not quality. So you might get a player who is has a less quality than maybe someone on the bench, but you just go and trust them to, to fulfill the orders of what you're telling them to do. So, you know, we saw Scott, he didn't, we play the 10 against Newcastle and it was a great big mess. Oh, what a surprise that is. But what did they do in this game against, um, against Brentford? There's the same three players, wasn't it? So it's a bit Sir McTominay and Bruno, but you know, so what does McTominay do in that system? Well, I don't want McTominay being the creative one at the top. Like, no, Thanks. And what we saw was Sibica playing the 10 last night, Bruno playing the 8, and he played the 8 very well. I thought it was the best he's played the 8 all season long. But then those two things help McTominay, doesn't it? Because then McTominay can go and do (sighs) some of the running around. Because you do need a little bit of that. And I think we saw, it was two moments last night when McTominay made two big blocks going across the box. Again, if he doesn't make those blocks, one might end up in the net. This is a different show today. We're talking about a draw and unfortunately United dropping points again. So that is what Scott McTominay is. That is why Scott McTominay is liked by certain managers. And that is why Newcastle are fishing around signing Scott McTominay. So I I, I will always understand why he's completely unpopular because he is. He's an unfashionable player. I do think on the ball, he's a problem. Just don't think he's got maybe the necessary skills United going into next season or someone on the ball that you need. You'd rather have someone that does both, you know, a bit of running around and be technical. But I think you've got to give Scott your shoes was like, He was okay. He did his job and him doing his job went a long way to Manchester United winning the game. You mentioned Marcel Sabitzer there. Hmm. Um, obviously,
1: we had a conversation about him on the last show on loan from, from Bayern at the moment. Uh, smart assist from him with the header down to Marcus Rashford who was just coming back from an offside position. Uh, and had managed to get on side and obviously thunder the ball into the net. Sabitzer in the 10, we we obviously know that since he's come in, he can play 6-8-10 left, right, if necessary. Uh, he was quite effective in the 10, though, wasn't he? Um, you know, obviously mentioned there Bruno dropping a little bit deeper. Sabitzer just offers a little bit of quality up there.
2: Yeah, and he's a he's a driving force in the ten. So he's not your traditional Odegaard, De Bruyne, even Bruno type ten. You know, he's never going to be, you know, have that sweet pass in him or that kind of little bit of skill or finesse. But he's kind of like a, a bulldozer from ten. He likes to run forward. This is what he was known at known for before he went to Bayern Munich. He was known for being a player that can get you goals and assists. And as I think I've mentioned before about how high his XG is and his XA is in the Bundesliga from playing from that position. So I was I was pleasantly surprised to see him kind of freed up from the number eight duties last night to go and play behind Marcus. And I actually think, you know, in term, the combination worked for the goal, of course, and it was clever from Subitza with that little nod down there and Marcus just firing at home. That's the combination you want from your 10 and 9, isn't it? We talk about these things all the time. So, you know, a big tick for him. I think we will see him play the 10 again. Christian Eriksen coming back will kind of muddy some of that. And you might see him going back to the 8 just because. But it was a a nice little experiment that's not really a risk. Again, it's not something that Ten Hag's doing, something that we don't know that Sabitza can do. It's just that we have not seen him do it yet for Man United, have we? So I think that that then that then allows Bruno to be a better number eight, doesn't it? Because there's someone driving forward and stretching the play, and then that allows McTominay to swing round and cover a little bit more because that's what he's good at, and that's what they didn't do at Newcastle, Scott. It was just a big jumbled mess. But against Brentford, you know, they knew they had to kind of be a little bit more resolute, and they did that, and I think Sabitzer was a big part of that.
1: Yeah, uh, like we say, uh, obviously. Hopefully, the next game against Everton will be the last game where United don't have Casemiro. His suspension mm. ends after the Everton game. And hopefully Christian Eriksen is back in first-team contention within the next week. I think Everton might come too soon for him, but for those of you who were watching, there was a camera shot of him in the stands next to Garnacho watching the game with a big beard. Uh, went up in my estimation after that, if it's possible. Um, but yeah, you what United have to do at the moment is just find ways... To get through this period, I guess, yeah. right? And I think that Mark, what we saw against Brentford, was probably the best example of how Ten Hag should go about constructing his midfield in the absence of those two players. And you mentioned Bruno Fernandez. Uh very imp- I know, Rob, you're, you're quite um you, you often look at Bruno and you think you get frustrated with the fact that he gives the ball away a lot. Mm-hmm. Um that was much more measured from him last night though uh and he dictated the tempo he was very smart he gave the ball away once or twice but that's to be expected that can happen but that was you mentioned bruno in the eight already playing his uh best performance in that position what was it about
2: bruno for you that impressed you i think first of all you said his ball retention and and being smart so when when I kind of focus on Bruno, I do that because I expect more of him because he is our best player, certainly our best midfielder in those roles, isn't it? Playing the eight does not suit him as a player. I'm sure like there were times even last night where it felt like he was itching to get forward and itching to kind of go and join Marcus and join Jaden and get further up the pitch. But of course, the role is about being disciplined what did he do, Scott? He was picking the ball up and doing the simple stuff really well. And he did give the ball away once or twice, but there's no problem with that. Everyone does that. That's not a problem, is it? it? And then he was getting his head up and turning that that kind of possession into transition and getting United on the front foot quickly. That's what I want to see from Bruno. But I do also understand that it's a, the impact of everyone, isn't it? And that's why you can't just put it on Bruno Fernandez's shoulders when things go wrong. He might, We might highlight him. I might say, I'm disappointed in certain things. I think you saw last night that when he got the ball off the back four or in those areas, there was no thinking. He just kind of turned and he was playing the balls into the channels really quickly and allowing us to kind of get forward. And that's a big part of our game is transition. And if your midfielders are not implementing the transition and getting you going, guess what? You don't transition. It doesn't work. So I think that it's Bruno playing that role last night. It helped that McTominay did some of the more dirty work and it helped that Sabitzer was driving the 10 and pushing the traffic that way, it gives you space. Bruno, with space, is a better footballer. Bruno, in no space, is a worse footballer. So I was pleased with his performance last night, and I think we need to see more of that. Again, it is still, I think, noteworthy and debatable as to why he's not playing the 10. Like, why could Sabitzer not play the 8? And I think a a lot of it will be about ball work. So a lot of it will be saying, who can make that pass? Well, Bruno can make it. But he's got to do it. He's got to task himself to do it. He was much more disciplined last night, Scott, and that was a big part of this victory. You just said there about Brentford's midfield at the top of the show. It's a little bit like Newcastle. You're up against Willock, and you're uh, you're, you're you're up against uh, Willock. Who was the other midfielder? Sorry, and um, Longstaff. And Longstaff. Yeah. And those two guys were not getting our midfields when you compare it to our midfielders. So it's sometimes it's a little bit of an anomaly, but it's the same with Brentford. Those guys wouldn't get in our midfield. Therefore, your task to be better than them. And they were last night. And again, this is all part of the building blocks towards this victory.
1: How much of it was, uh, and Bruno, Bruno's space that he was finding, how much was, of that was down to Brentford being a lot more submissive than Newcastle were?
2: Yeah, <laughs> a, a little bit. But, you know, I think when you look at these games back-to-back, and we'll talk a little bit more about Everton in, later on in the show, is that Brentford and Everton, I think quality-wise, are not massively different, and tactically, not massively different. The difference maybe now at this point in the season is that Brentford have maybe got one eye on their holidays and thinking, we've done our season, like we're going to be top half and we've done really well. And Everton are going to turn up at Old Trafford fighting to stay in the league. So there's a difference. So you might have same similar players, but then you've got to do it again. Haven't you? You've got to look at the players and say, "What well, you're inferior to us. So we've got to make that show and, and count on a football pitch. They didn't do it against Newcastle. But they did do it against Brentford. So you've got to take that game to game, as you said. And I won't be surprised to see Bruno just carry on not, not playing the 10 light. Like, I think we've got used to it now that for some reason, even later in the game, Scott, I was thinking, as you were tying it down, would you just let Bruno go and go at the top end so he can kind of stretch the play himself, maybe play something a little bit deeper, play mid block or something like that? No, Bruno played the eight the whole game and he seems to be playing games in central midfield non stop. So for Bruno, it's just about do all the basics properly and then allow your kind of flair game to take over in those moments where it can.
1: Another player that we've seen, and we are running through a few players today, uh, another player that we've seen play in the 10 on occasion is Jaden Sancho. Mm. Uh, he did get a start last night and played, played all right. Uh, a comment from Prajval saying... Pretty sure I heard you all predicting correctly that Scott McTominay would be starting as the 10. This is referring to an old, uh, a previous match and not hating that idea as much in the last episode. I think 10 Hart got it wrong and won't be going there anytime soon, which he obviously didn't last night. Uh, What do you think of Sancho in the 10 role? It's been hit and miss, but I feel he's shown a bit more there than he has on the wings. Now, he did play on the wing last night. What do you think, Rob? Is it kind of horses for courses kind of thing with Jaden, or is his best position on the left... We don't really see him on the right that much. I, I that I noticed last night. Uh, what do you think? We've had this conversation on this podcast before about where he fits into this. He's not an automatic starter at the moment, mm. uh, and you can't really see it happening anytime soon. He's more of a rotation option. But um, do you think Jaden Sancho in the ten when Ericsson and uh, Casemiro are back? It's just not an option that we're going to see anymore. Is it a case of Sancho
2: will be put back out on the wings? And he was on the wing last night and played a lot better than recently. He had a decent performance as well, didn't he? And and I think a lot of this is down to chemistry. So it's all very well we talk about the number 10 in isolation, but I don't think it actually helps things. Like we've just done the segment there about the midfield, and it's about the midfield working together so players can do their individual jobs and they all look better within that system. I think the thing is with Jaden Sancho, and this is what you have to highlight: is what is Jaden Sancho? You know, is he a winger? Is he a is he a player? Who can play the 10 and kind of drift and pick the ball up and allow you to kind of get going? Can he give you, say, the energy that Sabitza gave you last night in that role? Well, I think there's kind of some variables there. First of all, I think if you do need a 10 that drives, like we did last night with Sabitza, then you can't pick Jaden Sancho. Jen Sancho is not going to drive the ball in that way. Jaden Sancho is a cute footballer who can dribble with the ball and take the space and maybe work in tighter areas. I think what we saw last night was really interesting. That Marcus obviously being pushed through the middle and Jaden being pushed left. Jaden played it almost like Anthony does on the right. He's getting the ball and inverting. And quite often you were seeing it's quite radical at times. Marcus kind of going into the left channel uh, and seeing Jaden come all the way across to the right to join Anthony. That's acutely tactical. Whether fans pick that up, I don't know. But that's a direct instruction to get Jaden to float away from the left. Because Jaden's never really going to go on the outside, is he, from that side? It's just not what he does. Same like Anthony, because he's left-footed. He's never really going to go on the outside. It's just not what he wants to do. But it's not what the manager wants either. So I think the most obvious position for Jaden is still somewhere on the left. But I believe, infinitely, that when everyone is fit, you must play Marcus Rashford on the left. Marcus Rashford is the best left-sided forward in the world on form. Now last night, Marcus played through the middle and he played okay, but I don't think it was great. He wasn't great at the press. He scored his goal, but it's from really just off the back of a set piece ball coming into the box and knocked down. I think he would have been there anyway, even if he wasn't playing the striker role. And then you look at Jadon and I think Jadon was allowed to drift last night. But what do you do, Scott, when you've got Ericsson back, when you've got Casemiro back, and then you're looking to play Bruno, maybe higher up the pitch. Well, it means that Jaden doesn't play, not as it stands. Jaden Sanchez' form needs to be better and more consistent, and then he's much more of a viable starter. Him as the ten, at times in games, possibly, but I don't, I don't see it. He was never really a ten at Dortmund, and they didn't like him. You know, they liked him in wider areas, and and I think he played as a ten at, at City when he was really young for. Short periods, but again, it wasn't something that Pep wanted to develop. So, let's wait and see. I don't know with Jaden. I think the jury's still out. And I think a good performance. We're going to have to take him now, game by game.
1: Now, this isn't a luxury that players get at Man United. But somebody... I think i seen this on my timeline last night. I can't remember who suggested it. But suggested that Jaden Sancho was more of a player who needs game time in a role to grow into it rather than being rotated into a team for 20 minutes at a time
2: because
1: mm. he never really picks up the momentum do you think that's yeah. fair
2: I think it's fair but it's also a little bit throwaway because everyone needs game time like all footballers no, no one comes back and hits the ground running we saw last night of Anthony Martial coming off the bench that it's tough you know it's a hard sell when you've not maybe been training or not being in the first team so I agree with that but There's no way this can be a popularity contest for 10 Hag. He has to look at it as, as building bricks. And if he looks at Sancho and says, well, I want to play Sancho, but I can only play him on the left and I've got Marcus Rashford, then unfortunately, Jen Sancho is not going to play. And that is just the brass tacks of it. He does need game time, Scott, but he's not going to get that rotation as it stands at the end of the season. We are too near the end of the campaign to start risking things not working. And that is a problem. And Jaden Sancho's got this part of the season now. We're so many months into it, even months after his journey out to the Netherlands to, to train and to get back fit and to get back to where he needs to be. We're past that now. We're in the kind of red zone. This is it now. We have to win games. So we can't really mess around too much. And Jaden played last night because we needed some more creativity. I thought United were more creative with him on the football pitch. But when everyone's fit, Casemiro's back, Ericsson's back, Bruno playing higher up the pitch, he sits on the sideline, and I want Marcus on the left. I'm a little bit worried about moving Marcus Rashford now because Marcus Rashford's been the best left-sided forward in the world this year, and we're going to move him to play a guy that hasn't played very well at all. Like we want Jaden to do well, but he's going to have to take the slim pickings. He's going to have to do it in smaller smaller windows, and prove to the manager and prove to us that he's ready to start once again. He's oh, still yeah. miles behind Garnacho to me. Like, Garnacho's not played now for weeks because he's injured. And in my head, I'm still thinking if Garnaccio was fit tomorrow, Garnaccio's the guy you play on the left when Rashford's not there. So that's difficult for Jadon. I don't think Jadon fits on the right in this system at all. He can't invert from the right. And that's why you see uh, Anthony plays all those minutes. I suppose that's the way it should be, though, right? Of course. If you want to... Be a successful club if you're not performing <laughs> you got to take your chance when you get it closer to a democracy isn't it it's closer mm-hmm. you know you take the plays prove it and we know that this manager's massive on that we know he tells them behind the scenes that you've got to prove it to get in, in my football team and he did say last time about Sancho before the game and after he went Sancho's trained really well I was happy to put him in last night I do think it was a little bit as a reaction to Newcastle <laughs> to try and change something and of course then you've got that option of playing Marcus through the middle for Weghorst.
1: in the run-through of players that we're doing today. We we will do one more. Anthony Martial. Hmm. (laughs) Now, let me just uh, pluck a comment from Eric Ten Hag's post-match presser. He was asked, uh, is Martial not fit to start yet? I quote, no, otherwise he was an option, but I don't think in this moment he's game-fit enough to to, to have a start. Obviously, when you see Anthony Martial's record over the years, you have to be really careful to plan it. So I don't want to take that risk because I know when he's on the pitch, he has a great impact on our performance. Now, some suggestions from uh, media in the UK that he's run out of patience with Anthony Martial. We know that, obviously, United are targeting a striker. We've talked excessively about about Weghorst, who we didn't see at all last night. Uh, Martial came back with about 20 minutes left or 25 minutes left. I can't remember exactly when he came on.
0: Obviously, a 9 hour better and 10 Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: I was right. United are much better with him in the team, mm. but to kind of criticise the injury record and the fact that he can't get fit, I think it's completely fair for him to do. I think mm. it caught me by surprise a little bit, though. I thought he'd be a little bit more protective. But if he, if he's not going to take, you know, Martial's had more than a chance this season to prove that he's fit and to prove that he will do whatever it takes to get in this team. But if Ten Hag can't depend on him there's a reason why United are looking for a new striker. What what did you make of Martial's performance and the bigger picture?
2: I think it was pretty evident last night from Martial's performance is that he is massively short of match fitness. Now, again, we could be saying, couldn't we, oh, he needs minutes, so let's play minutes. Well, we're not at that point in the season. We can't do that. It's too many things happening and you're going to have to probably use him from the bench. Ten Hag has alluded before that the issue with Anthony Martial is not actually in-game. The issue is out a game is recovery and is that he doesn't recover very well from game to game to game and I think that Ten Hag's learned that the hard way this season I think he's tried to manage Martial sympathetically but you're now at the point where maybe you're just saying to him look we're just gonna have to use you as a kind of as a bench role 20 minutes a game and you're gonna have to make a quick impact now I think last night I liked United's shape better when Martial was playing through the middle. I think United just looked more natural and what they were doing. But the difference was, is that you could see Martial's tank is empty. Like I said to you off camera, it was like uh, with about 10 minutes ago, you look at the, the latter game stages and he was really like <sighs> huffing and puffing. It's a difficult game, professional football. You've got to be an elite athlete. So it's going to hurt Martial, isn't it? So I agree with you. I think this is why... It's a natural conversation to talk about future strikers and where you go. No doubt the Harry kane Osimhen awesome thing's going to be on transfer roulettes now to the end of the season and into the summer. And there's reason for that. Oh, no, I want to add one more name to that as well, Scott. Ollie Watkins. Watch this space. I think Ollie Watkins has really proved himself this year and has done in the last couple of years. A hard-working, pressing striker that scores goals. Sounds like what United need. Um, but you look at Martial... Um, whether he will be shown the door in the summer, I don't know, but possibly. Like, Who will stump up the money for him? I think that's this, the
1: sticking point, really. With it? this
2: kind yeah. of injury record. And it's, it's a little bit of like Phil Jones-isms. It's that like if you haven't got a market for him, then you keep him and try and just work with him and try and get him fit. And you might be able to use him because the contract is the contract and that's that. And I think with Anthony Martial, because he's getting to the end of his deal or, or pushing that way. He has two years. It's two years exactly, so it's not like he's going to finish this summer. But there's every chance that maybe you, you know, you flog him on the cheap just to get the wage off because obviously he's on a big wage, and that is a problem, isn't it? So, you know, you'd rather have, I think, at this stage or going into the next campaign, a Martial off your books and maybe someone like a Watkins on because Ollie Watkins will play every game and will push hard and allows you to pay Marcus in his best position, allows the midfield to push up allows you to do the things you want to do. So there are players out there that do fit. There is value in the market. You've just got to go find it.
1: Uh, Martial has one year plus an option. So yes. we were right. And United won't let that run, I don't think. Unless he just isn't fit anymore and they want to get his wage off the wage bill,
2: that's the only reason why they won't execute an option. But they will. That United strategy always with contracts is to execute that option. They always do, and they do that because it then gives them the power with the sale. If they want to sell a player on, they've got they've got them under contract still. So I, I think anti Martial, you could still use him as a make weight if you're going to go buy a striker again and Aston Villa have aspirations I'm not going down the Ollie Watkins route just for no reason but if you actually wanted to get a Watkins and you had to pay cash plus player then someone like Martial at Villa less pressure might work for him but it is a fitness problem and, and I think if you went and worked for Unai Emery you'd have to be fit to play his systems
1: let us know Rob Rob suggesting Ollie Watkins for Manchester United let us know in the comments what do you think uh let's uh anything else to add on martial or are
2: we just thinking
1: right let's let's look ahead to the everton
2: game does he start against everton no no like absolutely not and and the thing is if, if if he looked tired in that kind of 20 minute half an hour period last night it's very difficult to ask him to do an hour and not get injured so that's the problem. So this is it. And you do need to manage him now with all these massive games coming up towards the end of the season. You might need Martial for 20 minutes to go and win you a football match. So I don't think that, the, you know, I, I think it was really interesting actually not seeing Vegas at all last night and United maybe forsaking the press to play more on the deck football. That was really interesting because that's not something we've seen in the last few months. I think you kind of shifted the whole other way now where your press has become less important, and maybe keeping the balls become more important. I mean, you'd prefer a Marshall in that situation, but you're probably going to end up playing Marcus through the middle a little bit more. And then Jaden left, aren't you, is kind of what we've talked about. That's not something I'm very keen to see, but I would like to see Martial maybe play as many minutes as possible. Like, we've got to force it out of him somehow, haven't we? You've got to play maximum minutes. But if that maximum minute is half an hour a game, Scott, you've got to live with it. He still might be really valuable, in those moments. But I I cannot see him starting against Everton. Everton are high-pressured. They're going to play, you know, aggressive football. Not really the situation you want your guy who's made out of fibreglass to be playing up top, is it? It's going to be a tough football match. But then again, 20 minutes off the bench, that might suit him. Do you think it's a case then of sticking with what worked
1: against Brentford? Are you puzzled by Fred not really getting much game? Obviously, Um, he's travelled, but... It was a little bit odd not to see him last night. How much of it was a statement of go fix it from what we saw at Newcastle. Mm. I think he did come on, didn't he? But you know, usually you'd expect to see Fred in a starting lineup at the moment.
2: You'd expect to see Fred in a starting lineup, but I do see this kind of as like two boxing matches back to back. So maybe Ten Hag is looking one step to the future and maybe we'll see Freddie against Everton. I think we're more likely to see Fred play than when you are Martial. Um, I-, I don't think the manager now now he kind of fell on a formula last night against Brentford, will change too much. Like, he's proved that. He doesn't like to actually switch things around. He doesn't like to play rotation. I think this part of the season shows that. You've got these games coming up now, important games, haven't you? You've got the Europa League kicking back in. You've got some big matches and you've got this running. you've You've got to now, this season, Scott, becomes about Manchester United versus Tottenham Hotspur. Forget Newcastle. Newcastle are going to come third or maybe fourth and you might come third or fourth but it's what's behind you, isn't it? And you've got to kind of look over your shoulder. So someone like Fred in the weeks ahead will become, I think a little bit more valuable. I'm not sure whether the international break affected his form and something. You can see something in the training ground because that is a valid, valid possibility, but you're it's slim pickings, isn't it? You would expect without Casemiro being there that you would see Fred more. What you could say is that Fred is probably better with Casemiro, so maybe that's what the manager's looking towards is that he will put that combination back on the football pitch once you get to it, once Casemiro has uh, is no longer suspended.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, Everton, then, you know, like you mentioned, Rob, hardworking team. They got their... They got an. An unexpe- I don't want to say an unexpected point against Tottenham because Tottenham are awful at the moment
2: and yet this- <laughs> Don't don't jinx it. Do not do that. Do not. Do- Tottenham are awful and come fourth and we're so great and come fifth
1: <laughs> Well they, they play some bad football uh, let's just put it that way. They do uh, <laughs> Don't Rob, <laughs> you jinx it um, Everton obviously taking a point the other day. Michael Keane with an absolute screamer mm. Everton have been to Old Trafford already this season, I believe, in one of the cups, right?
0: Yeah. What was that probably. last season,
1: and it was, that, it was a difficult, difficult game for them. Uh, but again, I think this is just a this is quite similar to the Brentford game for me in terms of the Very amount of fun. effort they put in technical levels. You, you compared them in, earlier in the show, didn't you, Rob? Probably accurate. Um, but Everton will come to Old Trafford and not really give United anything for easy, anything easy. But it's a case again of just do the basics. Effort levels have to be right and you haven't more than enough quality to go and win. And it's just a case of take another three points this time around and get past this awful phase where you haven't got your two of your midfielders and
2: you can look forward. Yes, look, this isn't Frank Lampard's Everton, so it's not going to be a disorganised mess, is it? It's it, This is Sean Dyche's Everton and they will work every matchup to, to the absolute highest possibility. So this is the thing. We are more talented than Everton, and it doesn't matter. These things do not matter really at this point in the season. This is all about war. Can you fight these wars and put all the fires out that burn around you while still scoring the goals that you need to win football matches? And I think when you look at Everton, the fact that they're still in this precarious situation where it was like 10 clubs you could still get relegated, you know, they're all all within a few points of each other. Everton have kind of found a little bit of their mojo, haven't they? So even though I don't think they're playing fantastic football, they do look like they will score goals or if they go longer or they get a moment of magic, like I said, the Michael Keane moment where he comes into the middle, Michael Keane, a few weeks ago, he wasn't playing a few weeks ago. doesn't take that shot. He's confident there because he's empowered by his manager. And I think that's what we see with Dyche is that I don't think Dyche is actually any kind of technical, great God of a manager. I think what he is good at is he's good at organizing. He's good at getting players to do roles. And that's, you're seeing that from Everton. So, That's the fear here is that Man United say, go, oh, we did all right against Brentford, take their foot off the gas just by a tiny bit. And then you get one big long ball forward and you don't deal with the second ball and Everton score. So it's very similar to Brentford in that case. You know, when you're looking at second balls last night, Man United did okay with the second balls. There were still times. Was it's a little bit messy. Did you see the bit with De Gea with the ball at his feet where he hits Tony? <laughs> and you kind of think to yourself, oh, I don't know if you saw, actually, the camera went to De La- uh, to Delo on the other side. Right? I didn't actually. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. And De Gea kicks it, obviously, goes off of Tony and Tony goes, oh, and Delo is just over there like this, like that, in the <laughs> right back spot, his head in his hands. And he's like just going like this, like he's in some kind of trauma it's like, oh my God, I've seen all this before and I'll probably get blamed for it because he didn't pass to me. But that was it. He should have just passed the ball to Delo and he didn't. So they're the kind of things you You have to just work with because Everton will press you. They'll work you in those areas. And they're not they're not scared to make it physical. They're just one of those teams. And Dyche, you know, likes these matchups. ups the, the underdog. Uh, and I think he will enjoy standing on a touchline at Old Trafford, directing the traffic, pushing his Everton team forward. Because again, if you lose the game, People just say, "Well, Everton, you, you're supposed to lose this game, aren't you?" So absolutely no pressure on them. And I think Dyche does a really good job of taking that pressure off his players' shoulders.
1: Early kickoff at Old Trafford on Saturday, Man United versus Everton. We'll wait and see if United can, just like we say, take another three points and put the sticky patch behind them. Uh, but we'll end today's show with a different section. Uh, we'll put this in the description, hopefully. Uh, but I'll just run through. There's a Premier League Hall of Fame nominees list, which is being floating around. The uh, the official Premier League app, you can vote on there. I believe voting is open until the sixth of or the tenth of April at six pm UK time. And the three inductees out of fifteen will be announced on Wednesday the third of May. Fans can vote at www dot com forward slash Hall of Fame and via the official Premier League app there are 15 players as we mentioned Tony Adams Saul Campbell Michael Carrick uh, Petacek, Andy Cole Ashley Cole Jermaine Defoe Les Ferdinand Rio Ferdinand Robbie Fowler Gary Neville Michael Owen John Terry Yaya Torre and Nemanja Vidic now given this is a Man United podcast mm-hmm. I have cue cards here if you're watching on YouTube I have cue cards if you're listening I have cue cards and I'm holding them up <laughs> <laughs> my camera so I can show Rob that I have them. And what we're going to do here my votes will go on the 90min uh, YouTube channel later this week. I think we're going to record a video with these cards later today. But since Rob's here and since we're doing a Man United podcast this morning I figured why not get Rob's votes? I'm putting you on the spot Rob. But um, I'll, throw, I'll hold these players up here. So we've got Michael Carrick we've got Andy Cole we've got Nemanja Vidic We've got Rio Ferdinand, and we've got Gary Neville. Now, some players have already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson are being inducted into the Hall of Fame, but this is a, a voting process. Who would your votes be, Rob? Do you want to vote for any non-Man United players, or are you sticking with United?
2: No, not this time. Like, I probably, if I thought about it any deeper, I would... I, you know, as you rolled those names off, there were one or two in there that kind of went, "Oh, you know, like Yaya yeah, yeah, Torre being one of them. Um, but looking at the United-centric side of it, who would be my three? So I was thinking about this, obviously, we talked about a little bit before the show, and I've just as, as we've been rolling on, been considering it. For me, the first out of the three would be, you know, drumroll, would be Rio Ferdinand. Um so I wrote a piece about Rio many years ago and I called him Manchester United's most important signing during that period when he came to the football club because Man United were a bit bad in defence before he came and then obviously we, we had this period of sustained success with him at the hub. So I always say that I think Rio is the best centre-back I've seen in my lifetime at United and there's been quite a few good ones, isn't there? So I think Rio could just do everything. I think the next player I would put in is Vidic so Vidic of course is the is the oh there we go there's the cards this is Scott Saunders play your cards right we're playing here thanks to
1: Panini by the way this
2: is why you need to come over to YouTube and have at least have a look and click on and see what doing that's good isn't it double-sided card as you say two player of the season awards there it's quite interesting isn't it Five titles, 15 goals. You know, and Nemanja the, the Vidic obviously became an amazing leader for Man United. Obviously, remember that first six months where he came with Evera, and it was all a little bit precarious, wasn't it? We thought we have bought his two duds and yet they both became amazing footballers for us. And of course, Nemanja became the leader. Um So those two centre-backs, maybe the best centre-back pairing of all time in the Premier League. I don't know. That's something up for debate, but... I certainly think that they were up there with anyone else. But the third I'm going for, and it was a kind of little bit of a toss-up, but I'm going to choose Andy Cole. I probably should call him Andrew Cole as he prefers to I th- be called. I
1: actually think he came out and said, I don't actually mind which one I'm called. Yeah.
2: Look, he definitely had a period of about 10 years where he was a bit funny about it. I've seen him many a times be talked to and he'd be like, no, my name is Andrew. Don't call me Andy. Now I think he maybe, maybe he's got a bit older and a little bit like, oh, I'm not as bothered. But, you know, 187 goals for Manchester United in the Premier League um again a player i remember when he came to the football club from newcastle a little bit older that we gave away keith gillespie for him and keith gillespie was in many ways at that point our garnacho he was that kind of player young player that we wanted to develop you know people <laughs> thought was a little bit of wild and a little bit of a playboy but had so much upside we didn't want him to go and when he was using that deal to get andy cole a lot of people were like well look at this, Keegan's done one here. He's taken the better player and we've got this this tapping merchant. Well, that tapping merchant did pretty good, didn't he? You know, treble, X amount of titles, hundreds of goals, uh, one of the greatest number nines of all time. In the days when number nines were number nine, Scott, when they put the ball in the net from six yards, 10 yards. Andy Cole had his faults in his game, but he certainly deserves to be in that Hall of Fame because he was such an integral part of that front line, him and obviously Dwight York, incredible partnership. And he would, he would thoroughly deserve to, to be there with those other two players. I think you also say that Carrick and, uh, and Gary Neville were certainly Hall of Fame. Big
1: shout out, Michael Carrick, by the way, for his managerial uh, exploits
2: with Middlesbrough. Well, I think, you know, Middlesbrough expect potentially to come up this year. Maybe, you know, they're not, they're not far away. Are they, you know, and I think, if not, he could be the guy anyway that ends up in the Premier League next year as a manager. Like we we're talking West Ham, a lot about.
1: I can see West
2: Ham. Well, manager roulette happening as we speak. You know, I do think David Moyes will not be at West Ham much longer from what we're hearing, and I do think someone like Michael Carrick could be the name. You know, they're 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 in that situation, aren't they? You know, former West Ham player. Uh, I think he'd quite like that job. It's a big job, isn't it? You know, it's a big wage and a big opportunity. And I think, yeah, as a player, you know, Michael Carrick, again, another player bought from Tottenham. And I remember United fans, very low on it, were like, he's not good enough for us. Well, he won plenty of titles, didn't he? And he proved that he was good enough for us. He became one of the best screening midfielders of of all time, you know he was so good, just sitting in front of the back four and sweeping up and getting the ball going towards Paul Skulls. So, um, yeah, they all deserve to be in there. Gary Neville, I think, it's highest best right, right back in the world when it when he was very high. There was no one better than Gary in that period until he got that bad injury and then it kind of knocked the end of his career. All deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Fans can vote at www.premierleague.com
1: forward slash Hall of Fame and via the official Premier League app. Voting is open until 6pm, Monday, 10th of April. Uh, that is BST, uh, UK time. So if you're listening uh, from another country, uh, just be bear that in mind. But you have plenty of time still until next Monday to cast your vote. It is the 6th today as we record this. Three inductees from this list of 15 to be announced on Wednesday, the 3rd of May. Rob, we'll end the show soon, but I just did want to get a, a late take on, you mentioned managerial merry-go-rounds. Mm. Frankie Lampard at Chelsea.
2: Interesting.
0: <laughs>
2: well, I was going to tweet about this, but let's do it here instead. Um, Sorry. <laughs> that's all right, no. Um, I, I think, like like... It's 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 a complete basket case, isn't it? The whole thing is a basket case. You know, have Lampard at your club, sack Lampard, take Tuchel, win the Champions League the same year, sack Tuchel, get Potter, spend six hundred and fifty million on a load of players who have done nothing. Come tenth, hire Frank Lampard. So like, <laughs> there is a there is a logic to it, but the logic is rubbish. So Todd Bowley continues to play football manager. On the worst version of his Commodore Amiga that he's ever had, you know, and I have no idea why he thinks that this is a a particularly good idea. What I think is really interesting is that Chelsea do see an upturn in form and say they win these final, you know, what, eight, 10 games of the season. You might have to give Frank Lampard the job full time. You might have to. There might be a demand for it. So that's the risk here, isn't it? I I said something about Frank Lampard there earlier about Everton and it was deliberate. I think the thing is, at the end of the day, Frank Lampard is a decent coach. I don't really think he's a top four coach, and I think you still have to think about that for for Chelsea. I know this is an interim period. Whether the players will respond to him, we'll wait and see. But you know, Chelsea got to end up with one of the big names eventually, and I know this is the way they want to go. But going backwards—is that really the right way of doing this to to rescue your campaign? Like this is the guy you sacked. Todd Bowley might say, it "Wasn't us that sacked him? It wasn't really me. It was other people." But Lampard's a legend. He's a friend of the people on the board. And that's why he's been given this job or is going to take this job, I think. And it's a, it's a bit of a strange one. Let's say that as a take.
1: As much as we talk about Man United and their issues, and as much as last season was an absolute awful account of Man United, yeah, uh, it's quite nice, I'll just say. It's quite nice when we end the show. It's quite nice for Man United not to be the
2: crisis club of the season and 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 we are like again like for the season as as a campaign as a whole you know we are miles ahead of chelsea and miles ahead of liverpool and we would have said at the start of the season we wouldn't be we both would have we'd all would have said no we're not going to finish above those two i remember chelsea at the start of the season people were like yeah, Chelsea are the danger team here. You know, they're spending all this money. They've got, they've got this amazing coach who's now up by Munich, you know, and it, it, they look like the ones who had the opportunity. Now, that's not the way it's worked out, is it? It's gone the other way. Football is like that. You can swing backwards and forwards violently, can't you? It's, it's the way it goes. But I think with Frank Lampard, you have to ask this question. Is Frank Lampard a better manager, a better coach than Graham Potter? The answer to that is no. So why make that swap? Why go there? Why not maybe stick with Potter? I understand that clubs react. You that know, when you're playing bizarre, badly, it? It you're, you're, you're not in the relegation zone. Like Chelsea, there's no issue with Chelsea in terms of like if you finish eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, it doesn't really matter. It's just 50 million pounds difference per position or whatever it is. You know, so there's money involved. But why would you get rid of the guy that you really stuck by? And really, you cut his legs off, didn't you? You gave him a ton of players. You can't really use half of them at the moment. They're not usable. But you, you spent 650 million and what? Now you're giving those players to Frank Lampard for 10 games. Like it's just, it's mad, isn't it? So, you know, I, I think Frank Lampard, Lampard so to Everton, he's, bigger jobs maybe in the top division are out of his reach. I could see him being a championship manager or one of the clubs up there, or just talked about Michael Carrick. Michael Carrick would have probably been a better choice. I think he's got more acumen as it stands. So, but he's a Chelsea legend, isn't it? You know, he's one of our own. All that, blah blah blah. I think there's a lot to do with that. Appease the fans. It sounds all very much like Ed Woodward and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when they made that choice. That uh, it wasn't particularly done on technical grounds. That's it for us today.
1: Uh, Everton go to Old Trafford on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, hopefully, Man United can continue uh, their. It's not a run of wins. They've won one. (laughs) But maybe they can start turning that into a run of wins. And hopefully we can see the back of this uh, difficult period. Soon, United will have some first-choice players back in the fold. Just one more game, hopefully, uh, until they are welcome back into the situation. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts and watch us now on youtube as well tuesdays and fridays usually tuesdays and thursdays this week maybe next week as well rob i haven't had a chat with you about that yet but we'll we'll talk at some other point uh head over to our channel like subscribe and leave a comment for us as well and follow us on twitter at underscore scott saunders at underscore rob underscore b and at promise and mu for the show as well
2: rob any final thoughts from you today before we switch off now, off the back of the plugs, I'm going to say this. Please, 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 please share the show. Please share it. So many of you that send us so many nice comments, and we're really grateful for that. We love all the support and, you know, everyone that watches every week, twice a week. You know, we know it's difficult, and it? We do two shows twice a week, kind of around an hour sometimes. That's two hours of your life. And there's so many of you that tune in and say that you enjoy what we do. But please share it on your socials. Keep, keep crowing about us, uh, and we'll keep uh, plugging out that content for you.
1: Yes, please do that. Thanks for listening, everyone, or thanks for watching if you're watching on YouTube. We'll see you next week with another Promised Land Manchester United podcast. Thank you